Welcome to Disney Versus, the podcast where we have animated discussions about animated movies. I'm Tori. I'm Grace. With us, as always, is our producer, Heather. How are you doing, Heather? I'm doing great. How are y'all? We're doing good. Good. I'm I'm glad y'all answered. There was a hesitation (laughs) and I was like, oh no. If you're new to the show, we talk about animated movies from the Walt Disney Studio and Pixar. We've taken 64 of them, ranked them in a March Madness style bracket, and we talk about and discuss them until we have a true winner. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Disneyverses, on Twitter at DisneyVS. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And new this week, we are now on Google Play Music. If you are not an iTunes person, you can find us on Google now. Give us a review or however Google Play Music (laughs) gives credibility to their stuff. Give us the highest of whatevers. I was the highest of pineapples. <laughs> they have a they have a pineapple rating system. Give us five pineapples, please. We'd love that. Welcome to 2017, by the way. It's a new Woo. year. Yeah. Lots of news. Recently, the Golden Globes happened, and Zootopia took home the award for best animated feature. So, congratulations to to Zootopia. I knew I loved it for a reason. <laughs> Moana was also nominated for Best Animated Feature, but obviously lost. And it was nominated for Best Original Song for How Far I'll Go. But unfortunately lost to La La Land, which won all the awards. My goodness. Everything. All of them. Yeah. Literally oh all of them. Like I said, welcome to 2017. We're back from our holidays and whatnot. Grace moved. She went Woo! from Chicago to Seattle, so she changed time zones on us. I know, mixing things up. Mm-hmm. But we're back, ready to talk about more Disney movies. Uh, Grace, you want to give us our matchups for this episode? Yes. This week's matchups are Toy Story 3 versus The Black Cauldron, Lilo and Stitch versus The Princess and the Frog, Wreck-It Ralph versus Meet the Robinsons, and Pinocchio versus Monsters University. Let's dive in. Grace, do the um, uh, Samaria thing. Okay, so Toy Story... Three is the third in the Toy Story series. Andy has grown up and is about to leave for college, and his toys accidentally get taken to a preschool. And so it's all about them trying to get out of this preschool and finding their place in the world now that Andy is going to college and doesn't really have a place for toys. The Black Cauldron is about a pig keeper named Torin who is tasked with looking after a pig named Henwin, who is a type of oracle and has a vision of the Horn King, basically ruling the world with the powers of a black cauldron. And Torin sets out on a quest to rescue Henwin and stop the Horn King from gaining power. Okay, so what was your first impression of Toy Story? When did you see this? I definitely saw it in theaters. I was a huge fan of it when I came out. I thought it was a great movie. I got choked up in a few moments that we'll talk about. And I thought it was really good. I thought it was, at the time, I thought it was the best Pixar movie ever. It was definitely the highest of high points. What about you? I was not a big fan of the first two Toy Story movies. Which I still don't understand, but I'll have to wait until we... We'll cover that when we get to them. I did not see this one in theaters. I was on tour with Spirit. So I saw this, I think, over a year later. This came out in 2010. 
in the summer of 2010. And I, I'm pretty sure it, it was a while before I saw it. And I loved it. And I was so surprised. I went into it with no expectations because I didn't care for the first two. And was really, really pleasantly surprised. What did you think about The Black Cauldron? This was my second time watching The Black Cauldron. So I'm going to have to clump the feelings I had for both viewings together. The first time I saw it, I was very bored. I was Mm -hmm. extremely bored by it. The second time watching it, I appreciated more because I knew what the plot was. The first time I had had problems with the plot. There were a few more elements about the story that I liked, but I'm still not the biggest fan of this movie. I'm not going to say it's garbage, but it's not the best Disney movie ever. Let's get into the plot of The Black Cauldron. Torn is going on this grand adventure. Initially, he's trying to keep his pig safe, and then his pig gets kidnapped, and he gets kidnapped, and they're all prisoners. And then they kind of go on this sub-journey to find the Black Cauldron and destroy it. So we've got another big journey storyline. The thing that I liked about this one is that it's very... It has shades of Star Wars and Lord of the Rings in it. Torin, he wants mm. to be a knight. He's fed up with his mundane existence with being a pig keeper. The same way that Luke was fed up with being a moisture farmer in the desert on Tatooine. It it sounds horrible. Mainly because the word moist. Yeah. <laughs> and I say it's like Lord of the Rings because when Henwin gets kidnapped, like that whole sequence reminds me of when uh, Frodo and the other hobbits first leave the Shire. The scene where the hobbits are hiding under the tree and the ringwraith is like looking for them. Mm-hmm. And it's like right there. There was a scene just like that in the Black Cauldron, and I was like, oh, snap, I, that looks familiar. So I mm-hmm. really appreciate that. Hmm. The Black Cauldron, I expected to be older, but it was made in 1985. I expected it to be older based on the animation and some other things. Yeah, it looks very, I'm not going to say grimy. It doesn't look very sharp. It's not sharp, and also the dialogue doesn't line up well. Like the mouth movements are very garbled and they're not distinctive Mm. like we expect from animation even Sleeping Beauty and things like that did that aspect better I don't think the quality of animation was that great and I also don't think the attention to detail was that great I've I've seen a documentary called Waking Sleeping Beauty and based on that I think this is probably one of the most important Disney animation films ever Really? Because that documentary starts with the Black Cauldron. This film was way over budget and it was way, it was past deadline. Like it was, they were very behind on the film. When Disney hired new executives, they came and saw this film and said, hey, do this, 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 and this. And they funneled more money into it. And it was, since it was so expensive and so, it took so long to do it. People were saying, this is going to be a hit. It better be a hit. Mm -hmm. And then it gets beat at the box office by the Care Bears movie. (gasps) True story. Got beat at the box office by the Care Bears movie. This was what made the new Disney executives, Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg, say, we have a problem. Yeah. And after this movie, they did The Great Mouse Detective. And after that, they did The Rescuers Mm -hmm. and The Rescuers Down Under. 
And then the Renaissance happened. Mm-hmm. You know, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, when Walt Disney had hit after hit after hit and set the world on fire. And I feel like without the Black Cauldron, I don't think we would have got the Renaissance. Yeah. It was such a huge failure. Yeah. It basically like lit a fire under their ass and they were like, okay, got to do something different. Wow. Okay. The Black Cauldron, the budget was $44 million and it grossed $21 million. So not that great. Nope. In turn, yeah. So the year after that was Great Mouse Detective. It cost $14 million to make and grossed $38 million, more $38.5 million. So yeah, I think that's a... That's a good call out. Let's talk about Toy Story 3 a little bit. What do you think of the plot of this movie? How do you think it flows? I feel like this is one of the best trilogies. And along those lines, Toy Story 3 is probably the best third installment in a, th- in a trilogy ever. It closes the book so well. It goes through. I mean, we've all been through the, that experience, you know, going off to school or we have our, you know, our old things that you know, we've grown up with and that we've grown out of. And it was interesting to see, just like in the first movie, how how do toys feel? It was interesting to see how do the things that we leave behind feel and how do they deal with it? I thought this was a very good standalone movie in addition to being part of a trilogy. It's kind of bookended by Andy's storyline and him going off to college but ultimately, Woody is trying to get his friends out of this prison of a preschool. And that's what the main storyline is. And that's compelling. It's simple. The new characters, I thought they did a really great job of filling in their backgrounds. Like, we know why Lotso and Baby and the Clown are the way they are. We know where Ken's kind of coming from and that he is kind of a puppet and is treated like one but he's not really malicious. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought I thought this did a really great job of bringing new characters into the Toy Story world and fleshing them out, making them believable. You really believe Lotso is a terrible, terribly damaged bear. And I don't know, what did you think at the end? I mean, the most terrifying scene of the whole movie when... They're going through when they're about to be the garbage grinder. <laughs> yeah, and they're about to head to the furnace. Oh, I I saw this movie before. I was super, super a super movie buff. I'm not a super movie buff now, but you get what I mean. I thought they were. I thought that was it. I thought that was a yeah. Wrap. But looking at it multiple times now, it's like okay, how that's a terrible way to end the movie. Just burning them like way to ruin a lot of people's childhoods. <laughs> like I've seen ooh. the movie three or four times and i watched this this last week and got to that part and i was like i don't how are they gonna get out of this i don't know i have no idea i couldn't i couldn't for the life of me remember and i was Mm -hmm. so distraught it's really it's really hard it's really hard to watch because there's this there's this point of surrender among the toys where they just need to have each other and love each other before they die That's really traumatic. As an adult, that's really traumatic. Yeah, I can't remember who it was that was, like, struggling the most. And they were, like, just... They just grabbed him and they were, like... Oh, Oh, yeah. Just, just, it's okay. I'm tearing up just thinking about (laughs) this moment. 
I honestly, a peek behind the podcasting curtain, we haven't actually talked about Toy Story 1 or 2 yet, so I feel really weird talking about Toy Story 3 before we talk about the other two. Oh, but it's by far the best. It's fine. It's... (sighs) And talking about um, Lotso, he's another... He's another villain like the Prospector who was kind of jilted Mm -hmm. by humans. And I mean, I don't know if that's a bad thing that they kind of go back to the jilted lover with Lotso. Mm -hmm. I feel like his fear is his anger is misguided, whereas Stinky Pete's was more accurately placed. Yeah, I think his his anger is misguided. But I think I, I think the story that they're telling there is way more about how he deceived baby and the clown yeah that's a really more villainous story to tell and i think they did a good job of it yeah it hurts when your owner replaces you but also she cared enough to get the exact same toy again and Mm -hmm. and her her parents knew what that meant to her and that's that's something he just chose to ignore and baby and clown weren't a part of that she only replaced him and woody makes a point of saying that she lost you she lost you this is your damage Mm -hmm. and you've passed it on to our friends because at this point woody is trying to bring them into the fold i think that was a really interesting way to go about making him a villain that this is more a characterization of his betrayal against his being so hurt that he's gonna bring his friends along with him to experience that pain yeah his misery needed company yeah because they're not like traditional minions in that way the clown has a brain and baby is a baby but still not dumb yeah because at the end he turns on Lotso. yeah Mm -hmm. because when woody tells him the truth so it's not like flotsam and jetsam who are very obviously minions that chose to worship this goddess of the sea what did you think about the animation of toy story 3 i love the animation of toy story 3 because if you look at toy story which is obviously the first pixar movie Mm -hmm. it looks so primitive true Mm -hmm. everything is blockier but looking at toy story 3 everything is just so fluid and it's 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 a marvel it's such an accomplishment to go from toy story to toy story 3 animation wise in just what 15 years mm-hmm. it's so great to look at just look watch them back to back actually yeah. watch yeah just watch them back to back you can skip toy story 2 it's useless no that's not what i mean because it's oh, toy story came out in 95 <laughs> toy story 2 came out in 99 so it's the jump isn't that big mm-hmm. but watch toy story then watch toy story 3 and it'll it'll blow your mind i read an interesting tidbit about Lotso. Lotso is featured as a toy in Toy Story, in the original Toy Story, on top of a shelf. But really? he is kind of not all there or not entirely in focus. And they wanted him to be a main character, but they hadn't perfected fur yet. Mm. So fur and water weren't really part of the initial programming that mm-hmm. they developed. At this point, they've got fantastic software for fur and water. We've seen that in... I'm thinking specifically of Tangled, but there are other examples. And that they actually had the most problems with garbage bags in this. Because really? garbage, yeah, because garbage bags have, they're, so they're crinkly, but they're still soft and there are no hard edges, but it's still shiny. and Yeah, and they're so amorphous. It's so shiny and like shaded yeah, all Yeah, the there's a lot time. of dimension. So I thought that was an interesting, something that they learned how to do through this movie. 
What did y'all think of the music for this movie? To be completely honest, altogether, the one thing that the Black Cauldron, I think, has going for it is the music. Yeah. I like the music a lot better mm-hmm. than Toy Stories. Nothing against Toy Stories. It was kind of... It had the advantage of having themes to pull from two previous movies. Mm-hmm. So when I hear, yeah. you know, the Zerg theme used... Not the Zerg theme. Buzz's, like, action theme from the mm-hmm. beginning of Toy Story 2 used in the opening of Toy Story 3. It's like, oh, I've heard this before. Or the oscillating trumpet motif that is in every Toy Story movie. Yeah. And I think it's the the Infinity and Beyond theme, basically. Mm-hmm. That used over and over. You know, it's okay. I've heard this before. But I maybe because I had low expectations for The Black Cauldron, it has a great score. Like, I found myself surprised that i was enjoying it so much and it's by elmer bernstein Mm -hmm. who did the magnificent seven not the one who did uh shoot west side story not that one that's leonard bernstein Mm. this one did the magnificent seven which is a really good i i i heard a little bit of western in it too yeah i i thought it was a Mm -hmm. very symphonic soundtrack i mean honestly kind of like fantasia like fantasia is obviously pulling from literature yeah. that already exists but it was similar to to that style of writing um sleeping beauty is another example i think i i keep kind of lumping this in with sleeping beauty because that's the time frame i'm thinking of even though this is more modern than that i think yeah the time periods that the movies are set in are very similar mm-hmm. but it's still that kind of whimsical lots of high strings sound yes yeah there's a lot of trumpet yeah if I'm remembering correctly, yeah. I could see, I could definitely see this being used for like a ballet or something. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Like something Stravinsky esque, like the Firebird or Petrushka or Rite of Spring. I could see something. I could see somebody taking this and making a ballet out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to characters for a second because we glossed over. Uh, we were talking about villains and the Horn King. He's really dark. Yeah. Like, the whole movie is really dark. I read something that said this movie was held back from release for a while because it's so dark. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the Horn King is a very capable villain. He just falls into the pit hole that many villains fall into by having ridiculous minions. And like I said with Maleficent... You can't be super capable and super evil and have just as capable minions because that makes it too easy for you. You have to have idiot minions and be sinister. Mm-hmm. He remind mm-hmm. me reminded me of Skeletor yes. from Master of the Universe. Yes, Masters of the Universe. Just yeah. really just in his appearance, but yeah, he was pretty pretty dark and twisty. And he had lime green things, which means he's obviously evil. Yep. Yep. More lime. Yes. <laughs> I would like to note that this is the second Disney movie that has made me want a pig. The first was Pua from Moana. Are you saying you wanted Hanwin? Yeah. Hanwin or Ham? There are two good pigs in this. Oh man, I don't want Ham though. He's a piggy bay. He's the <laughs> yeah, most. Yeah, but he's not snuggly or adorable. Sure he's an evil mastermind. Can't That's with good. Glass. Or porcelain. He can't snuggle with yeah. porcelain. Or porcelain. <laughs> One more thing I want to talk about before we probably vote on this. I want to talk about Gurgi. Okay. Because he's probably the sympathetic character that we're supposed to go, aww. He reminds me of Gollum. 
yes. on the Lord of the Rings. I, I <laughs> yes. seriously wondered if he had the same voice, and I don't think I ever actually looked that up. Um, no, 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 no. They're, no, not even the same guy. But I don't think his, his sacrifice at the end, it bothered me because it didn't feel earned. It didn't feel earned. It also, the witches say that it has to be a human to go into the cauldron, and he is not a human. They specifically say human. So yeah, I I felt I felt like that whole thing was cheating. And then yeah. he just comes back. I mean, if they had had to save him multiple times throughout the movie, and then in the end, it ended up him saving all of them in the biggest way, yeah. that would have been great. That would have been the perfect end to his story. But him just jumping in out of nowhere, because he, he's not in the movie that much. No. He's not. Mm-mm. But... It didn't feel earned to me. He his his sacrifice ha- it had the heart, but it didn't have the, I guess the weight. Mm-hmm. Or it had mm-hmm. the stakes, but it didn't have the heart. That's what it was. That's what I mean. Ah. It it didn't mean as much. He wasn't in the movie that much. Yeah. Yeah. The Black Cauldron is it's not bad, but it's not good. It's really not good. Yeah. It's not home on the range. <laughs> it's not home on the range. But- Tori, you ranked the Black Cauldron as 61st, and I ranked it as 50th, having never seen it. Um, Heather put this in as 62nd in her bottom. No, that's... Who knows what I was thinking back no, then. No, you ranked <laughs> it as... You didn't put a ranking for this. I didn't? Okay. And then for Toy Story 3, Tori ranked this as 2nd, I ranked this as 3rd, and Heather ranked this as in her tier 3. I admit now, I rated Toy Story 3 too high. Oh yeah, you think so? I I rated Toy Story 3 too high. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's too high. Still top 10, maybe not top 5. What do you think should be above it? At this point in the podcast, I would definitely say that Wally and even though we haven't talked about it, The Incredibles are definitely higher than Toy Story 3. I think so. This might move down a little bit for me i do think it's in top five wally might actually move down for me a little bit we'll see heather what did you think um i'll probably maybe boost it up to like third wait it's already in third tier right it's on fourth tier it's third yeah i might i might just keep it there it's not one that like i always just want to reach for and like watch immediately it's too heavy for that (laughs) i'm like i'm into heavy movies too anyway what do y'all think clearly toy story 3 is moving on Let's, yes. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> Clearly, it's bad. It's my culture. Obviously, <laughs> the music saved it. Okay, guys. <laughs> okay. Next up, we have Lilo and Stitch versus the Princess and the Frog. Lilo and Stitch is about a mutant alien that gets stranded on Earth and adopted by a young girl in Hawaii. Princess and the Frog is about a young woman in 1920s New Orleans who has a dream of owning her own restaurant and one night is accidentally turned into a frog because magic. And the movie is about her journey through the bayou and back to New Orleans to turn back into a human and get her dream. Okay, so what did you think of both of these? I didn't see Lilo and Stitch for a while because it was one of those movies that had a bunch of hype behind it mm-hmm. and a cute character in the forefront. So I was interested in it, kind of, but I wasn't super eager to go see it. 
and once I saw it, I thought it was good. I didn't really appreciate it until I got older and saw it more and more and took the Stitch as a cuddly character glasses off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but once I once I saw the significance of it, I really liked it. I still like it. There are a lot of moments that I chuckle at. Princess and the Frog I saw because there were black people in it. I'm not <laughs> going to sugarcoat it. They're first black Disney princess. I saw this because it was a return to traditional animation after, I think it was, I want to say Lilo and Stitch was the, it was the first one in five years. And so I was super interested and the music was good and it just looked like a good movie Mm -hmm. and I loved it. I liked the music in it. What'd you think of it? I know I've seen The Princess and the Frog before this viewing. I don't think it was right when it came out. I liked it. I I liked it a lot. I didn't remember anything. I like that Tiana is such a hard worker and they really emphasize that hard work will get you places. I do think it's a little mm-hmm. sad that she sacrifices everything else. And I think they make that point that they get around to it, that working hard is great, but you need to take care of your friends and family as well. You need to make sure that you have that part of your life. It's a little sad that they made that point through through the prince. Yeah. That there has to be a, a prince to kind of make that point. Um, that was disappointing. Yeah. That being said, I think the prince's sacrifice in this is very charming and cute. And I liked the overall storyline. I immediately wanted beignets and chicory coffee. I thought it was very cute. Lilo and Stitch. I'm pretty sure I saw this with my mom when it came out in 2002. And I think she really liked it. I, I didn't remember it that well. So, yeah, I, I kind of experienced these both through fresh eyes. I thought it was good. I thought the relationship with Lilo and Nani, I thought that was really kind of a gut punch. I, I wasn't expecting such a, a difficult topic through a Disney movie that's really well-liked. But, I mean... Lilo's going to be taken away from Nani. Their parents are dead, presumed dead. They are dead. They are no, dead. They are dead. Mm-hmm. And Cobra Bubbles. That's is... the most badass name ever, by the right? way. Right? It's deceptively right. badass. <laughs> Bubbles. Cobra Bubbles. Did you kill anyone? We're getting off, we the, off subject. the subject. <laughs> he didn't say yeah, that. Thought, yeah, I thought Cobra Bubbles as the CPS worker was an interesting choice it was dynamic i don't know that it's quite believable that he was originally what was it cia or fbi cia i I don't know that it was believable that he went from working to the cia to cps but you know what what did he do to get demoted right (laughs) that's what i want to know what did you (laughs) screw up he's a fantastic fantastically funny character so the, there are so many great characters in Lilo and Stitch. Jumba, Jumba is straight up Russian. Like he sounds Russian. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what they went for, or that's just how the character came out. He has. I don't know. I don't even think the the voice actor is Russian. That's how he came out. And Nani is great. Did you guys notice that Nani is a uh, fan of Mulan? Yep. No. In the morning when Lilo wakes her up, she has the uh, a Mulan poster in her room. Oh, that's cool. It like super makes sense yeah, too, cause to me. <laughs> this movie is set in 2002 and it it totally makes sense that let's say Nani's what, 21, 23 in her, you know, 20s. 
Uh-huh. It makes sense that four mm-hmm. years ago she was super enthused about Mulan. It makes sense. Yeah. Yep. What about characters in Princess and the Frog? I love the Shadow Man. Yeah. Mostly because I love Keith David. If I could have any voice, I would have Keith David's voice. Sorry, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I do wish Dr. Facilier's kind of relationship with the uh, demons or... I, I mean, he, he has to pay for using this magic, this voodoo. Um, and I wish they'd explored that a little better. Um, I feel like that was kind of lacking. Like, we understand that there's this give-and-take relationship, but that's really it. I don't know that it was necessary for the plot line. I, I just think, personally, I would have liked a little more background on that. I agree. I've heard people get really confused about why he was so eager to get the prince but yeah, if they explained that he was mm-hmm. in debt to his friends on the other side, and if he didn't pay them back, they were going to take his soul, which ultimately happened because he kept on saying, what about my debt? What about my debt? And people are like, what debt what are you debt? talking about, yeah. bro? And they cover yeah. it really briefly, but you still have to kind of infer a little bit. And I think that was a, I wonder if that's something that got cut with some of his story because his, he was a great character. I didn't think his scenes were that compelling. So it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if that's something that was cut. Yeah, he was a perfectly charismatic villain. Just mm-hmm. like here at Disney Versus, we love charismatic villains. Radigan, Jafar, Scar, Ursula. Ursula, Maleficent. We love villains with charisma who are like, ah, I know you're evil, but I kind of like you. <laughs> we love those people. Like it. Dr. Mm-hmm. Dr. Facilier was another one of those villains with charisma that were, even though they're evil. You but know, he's just sticky enough. He's just grimy. Yeah. What did you think about Tiana's relationship with with a girl? Oh, with her, yeah. Charlotte? Charlotte? her friend? With the mayor's daughter? I think that's a tough... Charlotte was hilarious. What do you mean? As kids or as adults? Both. So we've got Tiana, who is a seamstress's daughter. And the seamstress is sewing dresses for Charlotte, young Charlotte. And so they're, they're playmates, and that's great and a little more expected. But as they get older, that's a class division that most cultures wouldn't look past. It seems like a stretch, and there's also a race division there. Yes. I was kind of, for me, like, I think it's fantastic that we've got a black girl and a white girl who are best friends. It makes me sad, particularly that Charlotte just throws away money and doesn't know, as one of Tiana's best friends, doesn't know what that means to her. I think that was a overstep like cool we've we've made this relationship between these two young girls and there's no reason why they shouldn't be friends by any means except that history isn't that forgiving especially in the 1920s and also charlotte has no concept of what it means for tiana i see what you mean i think it would kind of bog down the movie to yeah to talk about it it's disneyfied yeah a lot of things about this movie i kind of infer You say she throws away money. In the end, when Naveen gets back to Charlotte and says, hey, whatever happens, you got to give Tiana the money for her restaurant. Mm -hmm. You would think, why why hasn't Charlotte done that from the start? The way Tiana works, I don't think think uh, Tiana would accept money from Charlotte anyway. 
Mm-hmm. Because I feel like the way yeah. Charlotte was raised, not Charlotte, I feel like the way Tiana was raised, she would say, my dad worked hard. I have to work hard. I can't accept this handout from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to earn yeah, it. I have, yeah, exactly. I have to earn this for myself. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, some people would say she ended up giving her the money anyway. No. Tiana made the beignets. Charlotte paid for the beignets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's kind of where my disbelief is, though. Like, Tiana is obviously this fantastic cook, and Charlotte's throwing these part. Like, this isn't the first party that Charlotte's thrown in a hot minute. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's kind of where my disbelief is, is there are ways that Charlotte could have used Tiana more and could have been more helpful to her as a friend. Yeah, I think with this one, it's... Because Charlotte thought that her future husband was going to be at this party that she was hosting, that her and her Mm -hmm. dad were hosting. I think it was after Tiana said that she would work it is when they were like, oh, then here's like all this money as a, I guess, a pay up front kind of thing. No, 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 no. Like subconsciously. She called a man catching beignets. She said, hey, Tiana, can you make a bunch of these beignets that I know men like? And And threw money at her. Yeah, she said, will this cover... I guess, well, this cover, it's basically uh-huh. a catering. She basically yeah. asked her to yeah, cater that's, dessert. That's, that's what it is. Yeah, and that's that's where I was going with that. Like, she, she asked her to work it and then handed her money to work yeah. that event. And it's mainly because of Prince Naveen being yeah. there. Yeah, and where was she? She was behind a table, you know, supervising the desserts. So she paid her for being yeah. a caterer. services. But yeah, she could have given her more opportunities yeah. to do that because there were other mm. parties Definitely. Maybe we just didn't see it. Maybe we just didn't see it. Yeah. I just thought it was a... thing that got cut. I thought it was a gloss over. It was was glossy for me. Mm -hmm. That relationship was glossy. It was Disney gloss. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, when Tiana's dress got ruined, Charlotte was like, hold on. I got you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even at the end, whenever Naveen obviously was in love with Tiana or whatever, like Charlotte didn't suddenly turn into a villain and be like, no. Oh, fine. no. Like, she was like, girl, support mm-hmm. you, you know? Like, that yeah, was great. I did think that was, that was lovely. Then she was all creepy and was like, little brother's like nine years old. I can wait. Right. <laughs> hey, it was the 20s. It was the 20s. Clearly, Charlotte's 20s, a gold yeah. digger, so it's it's fine. I guess it's fine. I didn't live in the 20s, clearly. <laughs> you sure? We're coming up well, there. I won't live in the 1920s, that's yeah. what I mean. God, I hope... I hope yeah. a new Jazz Age comes. Gosh, that would be great. That would be so cool. Uh, speaking of jazz. Speaking <laughs> of jazz, the music in both of these films was bananas. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Prince and the Frog is set in New Orleans, so obviously there's going to be jazz all over the place. And of course there was. And I, I noticed that they went through every kind of style of music that there could be in New Orleans because they, you know, they had jazz. They had yeah. gospel. They had blues with Mama Odie. They had blues with um, uh, mm-hmm. the Shadow Man with Doctor mm-hmm. Facilier. They had uh, kind yeah. of Zydeco with mm-hmm. Ray, the Firefly, mm-hmm. and his family. Yeah, they had uh, French yeah. Waltz. Mm-hmm. I love my Belle Evangeline. By the way, it's mm-hmm. my favorite song from this yeah. movie. And then they had more jazz with Louis. Mm-hmm. They just—I yeah. feel like they hit all sorts. They hit a lot of points. There's so much culture in New Orleans, and they I feel like they brought a lot of it yep. out. Yeah, they're, they definitely did a good job of... This is set in the 1920s, but I think this was much more a window into New Orleans than it was New Orleans of the 1920s. Definitely. 
Because if you've mm-hmm. never experienced New Orleans before, it is completely different. There's so much different culture yeah. there than there is in a lot of the rest of the United States. And they did a good job of showing different signs of that, of showing the food, of showing um, voodoo, of showing the music and Zydeco and kind of Creole. And, and that, that was very impressive to me. They did a good job of doing that. And on the flip side, mm-hmm. with Lilo and Stitch, they brought up Elvis, which I'm not sure if Elvis is a huge part of Hawaii. I think <laughs> Elvis in Hawaii is a movie, mm-hmm. so that may be the thing. Uh-huh. And then they brought in uh, Hula. I can't pronounce the, the singer who sang both songs, both the songs in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like that was a good window into Hawaiian music influences. Like mm-hmm. Hawaiian singing. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the same thing they did with Moana. Like Luau's and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they did as good a job with Hawaiian influences as Princess and the Frog did mm-hmm. with the culture and musical yeah. tapestry yes. that New Orleans has. I think Lilo and Stitch is mm-hmm. also geared at a younger audience. As deep as the relationship with Lilo and her sister is, I, I think it's generally geared at Lilo's age, which is mm-hmm. probably around five or six she is six i also said that i think lilo being six is the best part about her character because she's optimistic Mm -hmm. she's silly she's creative she doesn't know any better she's Mm -hmm. annoying and some of those make for the most hilarious parts of the movie like the beginning when she goes ape shit on her and bite the ginger girl Mm -hmm. and beats the crap out of her i did that when i was six (laughs) And the yeah. whole, like that whole opening scene with Lilo's first dialogue, with a fish with the peanut butter, with the peanut butter perfectly. sandwich, and everyone's like, "What?" And then like Lilo explains it later in her class. That was so funny. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the voice cast for these two movies. Do you have any notes for those? Uh, for the Prince and the Frog, Anika Noni Rose was the voice of Tiana, mm-hmm. and it's funny reading IMDb. Jennifer Hudson and Alicia Keys were both considered for this role, but I think scheduling, it didn't line up. And then Beyonce was considered for the role, but she didn't audition because she thought it would just be given to her. Oh, Mm -hmm. well. So Beyonce, Jennifer Hudson, the other two girls from Dreamgirls (laughs) were considered for this role before Anika Noni Rose got it. And I think that's hilarious. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought she was great. There's so many great people or voice actors in this movie, or many great actors. Her mom is voiced by Oprah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know that. Her dad is voiced by Terrence Howard, mm-hmm. the original roadie from Iron Man. Yeah. Charlotte's father is voiced by John Goodman, who we'll be talking about later in this mm-hmm. episode. Yes. Oh, and then Keith David, who I talked about earlier, who is mm-hmm. just one of the best deep voice actors ever oh Mm. and then jim cummings was the voice of ray jim cummings is the current voice of winnie the pooh Uh. and tigger too the the voice cast for lilo and stitch isn't as prolific stitch was voiced by the director of lilo and stitch chris sanders Hmm. the girl from the ring like the black haired girl the evil girl oh my gosh yeah devay chase she was the voice of lilo and that's her big like oh, wow. claim to fame. That's the one thing that's like, did you know? That's pretty cool, actually. And I believe in the sequels, she was she either reprised her role in the sequels, or she was voiced, copied by Dakota Fanning, 
that's all I got on the voice cast. I I gotta give Princess and the Frog the edge because of how prolific this voice cast is. Mm-hmm. I mean, when your mom's Oprah, you win. win. <laughs> yeah. So, do y'all want to talk about how gorgeous these movies are? I've been like sitting on the edge of my chair so this whole time, like waiting for y'all to like talk about how pretty both of these movies are. <laughs> Heather go. Heather go. Heather go. Do the thing. Do the, Do thing. the thing. Oh my god. Talk about her. Oh my gosh. Thing. Lilo and Stitch. Okay, A, the water is gorgeous. If you have seen any pictures of the beaches on Ho- on any of the islands at Hawaii really that I know of, they're all super crystal clear and the fish were all super colorful. I don't know how to put this into words because it was just really pretty. I love the mountains in Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That fly through that they they did towards the end when they were trying to rescue Lilo. Mm-hmm. Great landscaping. Yeah. Which was improved upon in Moana, but. And then uh, Princess and the Frog, the contrast between the water in Lilo and Stitch and the water in uh, Princess and the Frog is substantial, which is great because in Princess and the Frog it's all swamp pretty much, right? And so it's mm-hmm. all like grudgy and gross looking and got a lot of texture in the water yeah and i thought they did a really great job on that everything was super colorful but not in the same way as it was in lilo and stitch in uh, princess and the frog it was a lot darker and had more depth to it in that sense and so like the lighter colors popped a lot more i loved how princess and the frog looked because there was such great contrast and depth and dimension to the animation and and the water does look beautiful and realistic Lilo and Stitch I honestly thought was a little simple it was produced in 2002 and I thought it was beautiful and vibrant and but it also kind of had the simplicity Mm -hmm. like it was being geared towards a younger audience yes for me that was kind of my interpretation of the animation style Mm -hmm. speaking of animation do you guys hear about the uh, not so much controversial but the original ending no so this movie was released in 2002, which means it was in production in 2001, around the time of 9-11. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. So there was this video floating around on Facebook of the original ending. And the original ending, and by the ending, I mean like the climax of the film when they're trying to rescue Lilo. Instead of having a spaceship, Jumba and Stitch had hijacked an airplane. Oh. Instead of mountains, they were flying through a city. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like skeptical at first, but no, it definitely looks like something that they planned. Yeah, everybody says it's fake. I, yeah, I don't know. It looks realistic, but I also don't know anything about animation, so I don't know how hard it would be. I mean, they had enough time, because I think, I think this came out in November, Mm -hmm. and it's just that scene. Yeah. They break into an airport. The bike that they're riding on before they get to the spaceship, originally, they drive to an airport break into an airplane like they ride alongside an a 747 that's about to take off and then they hijack a plane and yeah that wasn't gonna fly right after 9-11 yeah and also these were the most two most profitable movies disney movies of the 2000s and by most profitable i mean these were the only ones that made money oh wow so hmm. uh i don't know if dinosaur counts but that means dinosaur Meet the Robinsons. Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet, Home on the Range. None Monst- of them no, Monsters, Inc. Not counting Pixar. Pixar okay. movies have always made bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always. Um, are we ready to vote on these two? I'm not ready to vote. I don't know which one to choose. <laughs> okay, my vote is Princess and the Frog. I think it's the 
story is a little more well-rounded. Um, it's a little less simplistic, but I think it does a good job of fleshing it out. I think you've got a really great screenshot of New Orleans culture. The cultural aspect of Lilo Stitch is lacking. I think it's just kind of a tiny, tiny glimpse, but I don't think you're really immersed in that culture. The music in both is good. I think it certainly makes more of a a show in Princess and the Frog, and I think there's a whole bunch of different music in there that's really fantastic. The animation is better. It's it's not just that it was made seven years later and that there were more advancements, but I think there is they were going for a different level of animation um, that really shows. Still yeah. thinking. Sorry. <laughs> Heather, what's your what are your thoughts? Dude, she's worse. Yeah, I'm worse at this than he is. <laughs> Cuz on one hand, you have Princess and the Frog that has more depth in its animation like we talked about, like all the darker colors that bring out the lighter colors and the fact that there are just layers in the darker colors that they use and stuff and the water looked like it had texture, which was great cuz it's all swampy and stuff. The music is just phenomenal in in Princess and the Frog. It's like it captures, you know, New Orleans. I don't want to say perfectly, but it gives you a really nice glimpse of what goes on music-wise. It, you know, brings in the culture and stuff like that. But I feel like the lesson, I guess, is there a lesson in Lilo and Stitch? I just love, like, the sisterly thing and, like, how deep they got with Lilo and Stitch. And, like, they kind of did it without the kids realizing. We didn't even talk about Ohana. When Lilo and Stitch came out, people were just saying Ohana for whatever yeah. reason. Like, Ohana was the let it go for Lilo <laughs> and Stitch. It's true. Yeah. Everybody was either talking about Ohana or trying to talk like Stitch. Mm-hmm. That's that's what came out of that movie. We also didn't bring up the red thing, by the way. The red thing with Stitch. Go ahead and talk about the red Stitch thing. Stitch loves red. So, he the escape ship that he got at like the very beginning of the movie he took the red one and later you know he gets really involved with Lilo and she's always wearing a red dress and there was another red thing and I can't remember what it was what was it Nani's bra Nani's bra Nani's bra is yeah. is you know it's a shade it's it's a shade red. of red it's red with polka dots yeah. and you know he put he, he puts it, it has on a his ca- head he has a cape yeah he has a red he cape he has a red cape you know and the time that stitch leaves i mean he had a lot of stuff to it leading up to it like that talk of man everything was going fine until you got here there was that leading into this but lila was wearing her uh teal pajamas and stitch left and also Aww. in the chart that lilo draws his badness level is all in red yep <laughs> and boom goes the dynamite yep. so stitch has a thing for red fun fact <laughs> And I just, I just like how deep it gets with Lilo and Stitch because they go into more real topics. The whole losing custody of your younger sister after your parents uh, pass away. While in Princess and the Frog, it's work hard, not necessarily play hard. You don't have time to play hard, so all you do is work. Basically, things just aren't like handed down to you on a silver platter. Or like they shouldn't be. Like You need to work hard to get what you want. But also, you do need to play around every once in a while. Going back to what you said earlier, Grace, um, I, I, yeah, I wish they didn't do that with a significant other. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the story falters with Princess and the Frog. The lesson is good, but it takes a less than desirable way to get there. Yeah. I'm going to jump back on Lilo and Stitch really quick. 
mainly because of the depth that they go into with the whole losing your custody battles, basically. But also accepting odd people, I guess, is the okay way to say that. Not really. Like, people that are quirky. Lilo is quirky. Stitch Mm -hmm. is quirky. Lilo understands everybody. Nani gets that she understands Lilo, and not a lot of people in her town do. And so Nani's like, I understand her. Nobody else does. And that's a little possessive, but Lilo doesn't really have a lot of friends because she's kind of the odd one out. So it's like accepting different types of personalities. Okay. Decision time. Yeah. Do I have to choose? Yes. Yep. God, any any pairing but these two. I could, we could go on and on. Here, about these. let's go ahead and get it back on. Where do we where do we put these? Princess and the Frog. Tori ranked this as 19th. I ranked this as 39th. Heather put this in tier 2. This will definitely move up for me. Lilo and Stitch. Tori put as 23rd. I put as 40th. And Heather put in tier 3. God, I mean, this is going to be the hardest one. You passed. This is going to be the hardest one. I'm going to go with Princess and the Frog on this one. I think character-wise, everything is so strong in this. Everything is so strong in both movies. I think what edges it out is the music is stronger. The villain in Princess and the Frog is stronger. Like I said, he has charisma. And I like charismatic villains. I like the themes in... God, I like the themes in both of them. But it's mostly the villain, the music. More variety of music in Princess and the Frog. I agree that the story is a little bit... Not so much murky, but it kind of... It it has its stumbles and hiccups in getting to where it's supposed to be. But it's over... I I think, personally, that it's still a good story overall. Okay. So, Princess and the Frog moves on. And yes, I know it took us a long time to figure that out. But that's what this is all about. We made the tough choices so you don't have to. Next, we have Wreck-It Ralph versus Meet the Robinsons. Meet the Robinsons is about boy genius and orphan Lewis Robinson who is taken into the future by a boy named Wilbur to help him get back a time machine who is stolen by a man in a bowler hat. Wreck-It Ralph is about video game villain Ralph, who wants to be a good guy. He's always been the bad guy in this video game, and nobody likes the bad guy. So he goes on an adventure to try and win a medal so he can be the hero. He unleashes these evil bug things into other game worlds and has to go fix his mistake what do you think of wreck it ralph and meet the robinsons so i watched meet the robinsons today for the first time and i thought it was really cute i kept trying to pick it apart a little bit and it resolved every question that i had my one major disappointment was the villain he's just the guy with the bowler hat we kind of find out as the movie goes on that he is Lewis's roommate, childhood roommate in the orphanage, and that he didn't catch a ball and got beat up and kind of holed up in his room and blamed everything on Lewis, and that's how he became this really pathetic villain. And, and that's kind of where my issue is, is as we're introduced to him, we expect him to be this villain, but really he's mindless, he's not smart, he relies entirely on his bowler hat, Doris, and so I thought he was a little bit of a disappointing character. Wreck-It Ralph, I love. Ralph travels into Candyland, basically. What's it called? 
Sugar, Sugar Rush. Rush. Sugar Rush. It's like a cross between Candyland and Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Ralph wanders into Sugar Rush and meets Penelope, and Penelope is a glitch in the game. Vanellope. <laughs> Play on vanilla. Uh, who is voiced by Sarah Silverman, which is a fantastic choice for that character. And so Vanellope is a very sweet character and an outcast, and Wreck-It Ralph and... Vanellope are both outcasts from their societies. Ralph doesn't get invited to the parties at the apartment building that he wrecks every day, and Vanellope doesn't get to race because she's a glitch. And so I thought their story connected very well, and I thought it was really adorable. What did you think? I saw both these movies in theaters. I am in the camp of people that say that Wreck-It Ralph is the best video game movie ever made, because it is. I love the references in Wreck-It Ralph. I love the heart in Meet the Robinsons. I remember almost crying at both Mm -hmm. somehow. Oh, you know what? I did cry, almost cry at the very, very end of Meet the Robinsons. There's this beautiful quote by Walt Disney. And a piece of the quote we find out has been used as Lewis's adult tagline basically for his company and what was what was the quote it was keep keep moving forward forward. i i don't know that that would have hit me so hard if i wasn't a primary contributor to a disney podcast but um it did i was like oh that's really like you gotta get that one hit in there it's the very last thing we see Mm -hmm. let's talk about the plot of meet the robinsons because you you went through wreck it ralph pretty thoroughly lewis is an orphan and he's also a boy genius. He's tired of being rejected by potential families. He decides somehow that his mom is the only person who ever wanted him. Mm-hmm. So he de- he invents a memory scanner to see what his mom looks like. So I guess he can find her. Mm-hmm. Yes. And after a mishap at the science fair where the bowler hat trashes his project, Wilbur abducts him and takes him to the future to basically course correct his life Mm -hmm. it's basically course correction because wilbur's whole thing is hey you got to get back to the science fair fix your memory scanner and everything will be all right yeah lewis's thing is hey you have a time machine we can go back and see my mom and so they butt heads throughout most of the movie because wilbur knows everything because spoilers Lewis is Wilbur's dad. That's impossible! Lewis meets his soon-to-be family. They know who he is, but he doesn't know who he is. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to stop beating around the bush. My main problem with this movie is the villain. Everything mm-hmm. else is great, except for Future Goob is such an inept villain uh-huh. that it kind of, at the end of the day, it takes me out of the movie sometimes. He kind of reminds me of Count Olaf if Count Olaf was like an idiot. Mm-hmm. If he was, and he he looks like him, he smells, and he's just, he's just. It's not just that he doesn't know how to interact with people or that he is a recluse or is an odd one. It's also that he is utterly incapable of fending for himself. He's just stupid. And there's a disconnect for me between him being utterly daft and him isolating himself and blaming everyone else for his problems. 
for like 30 yes. plus years yeah yeah so those are two things that i think are separate issues that they kind of try and lump into his whole problem mm-hmm. um and i don't think it really works and i don't think i don't think he needed to be stupid yes if they if they just focused on him blaming his issues on other people i think that's a a message that can be taught i think that's a valid lesson to teach children but I don't think there's any reason for him to be... I was about to say that his motivations are very brittle because he's a very petty person. His motivations stem from wanting to get revenge on Lewis because his constant inventing... It's cause and effect. His constant inventing made him lose sleep and it Mm -hmm. caused him to not win. He missed the catch at the Little League Championship Mm -hmm. and it basically corrupted his soul and ruined him. And it, it turned him into the pettiest of petty people. Mm-hmm. Older Lewis's mantra says if he would have kept moving forward, it's okay for him to be angry, but he should have gotten past it and not let him not let it ruin his life, essentially. Mm-hmm. Well, and part of what I guess helped in ruining his life is Buller had guy. They went back in time, right? Goob, kid Goob, was like, yeah, I mean, I'll get over it, I guess, you know, whatever. And the bowler hat guy immediately goes back and is like, no, you have to let your hate fester. And so being a kid and having an adult tell you that, you know, like I can see, I can kind of see where he would start not liking Lewis more. That and the fact that like Lewis kept getting all these great achievements and he would hear it over the radio. Like the kid graduated college at 14. Pettiness is a path to the dark side. This movie (laughs) is proof of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did appreciate that this is... You get another Disney movie that embraces the geeky child, the the curious child. Everyone in the Robinson family is extremely curious and they celebrate failure because it means that you tried something new and that you learned something from it. Yeah. And that is an extremely valuable lesson. And so I think that's that's a very cool part of this is that they they ran with it. They just went as hard as they could on that idea mm-hmm. that this family is weird and they don't really, they kind of talk at each other a little bit and they're all doing their own thing in this house. But at the end of the day, they're all very curious. They're scientists. They support each other in discovery. Mm-hmm. And that's very cool. And the mishap with the um, peanut butter and jelly, he doesn't, he ends up not fixing it. And he ends up apologizing immediately because he's so used to negative reactions to his mishaps. But mm-hmm. then his, you know, future dad is like, you failed! Like, with this big smile and everyone's, like, congratulating mm-hmm. him. And they, you know, that's when he learns that it's okay to fail. Mm-hmm. That was, like, that's one of my favorite themes, like, in any movie. It's like, it's okay to fail. It's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. That's where you learn. Let's talk about the characters in Wreck-It Ralph a little bit. King Candy is voiced by the lovely Alan Tudyk, who we've talked about a couple times. This is a really A-list cast. We've got John C. Riley playing Ralph, Sarah Silverman as Vanellope, who I think is one of the most distinctive voices. Jane Lynch as Calhoun, and then Alan Tudyk. We briefly have um, Dennis Haybear, who's the Allstate guy, as the, uh, yes. the drill sergeant from, what's the name of the, Heroes Duty. Yeah. Yes. The... <laughs> That's it's funny. It's still I funny to say that. Heroes Duty. <laughs> so in Wreck-It Ralph, why is Vanellope seen as a 
outcast. The reason Vanellope is seen as an outcast is because she's a glitch. And she's a glitch because King Candy, she was the star of the game. And King Candy basically invaded the game, deleted Vanellope's code, Mm -hmm. and took all the memories of all the other racers. Mm -hmm. They kind of treat her like the Grinch in Mm -hmm. Whoville. King Candy is the mayor of Whoville, and she's kind of this unwanted creature who just lives. I did have a very Grinch-like feel when I watched this, because Vanellope lives in a cave, mm-hmm. a lot like the Grinch. There's in this a whole In a mountain. There's this whole town of people that are really bright and bubbly, and she's not a part of that, and she mm-hmm. resents the whole town because of that. Mm-hmm. And she lives in trash, just like the Grinch does, at least in like the Jim Carrey version. Like, you know, she wraps herself in that candy, candy wrapper, and that's how she sleeps. Like a homeless lady. And despite her not having her own race car and being an outcast, she's still, just like Lilo, when all Lilo wanted to do was dance, all Vanellope wants to do is be a racer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's she's it. She's tenacious. Like, she doesn't even know how to race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She just wants to be a racer. And she just That's... knows that mm-hmm. if she if she tries hard enough, she'll be able to. Yeah. She'll be good yeah. at it. Yeah. Tori made a really good point whenever we were watching this, saying that the characters in Wreck-It Ralph are actually really self-aware. Um, you hear it a lot when they talk about their code um, and how, like, they can't mm-hmm. really go, well, they can go against their code, but, like, you know, with Vanellope, she was like, she's like, I know I'm a racer, it's in my code. And even King Candy going in and, like, messing with the world. It's super meta. Like, yeah. they know mm-hmm. they're in a video yeah. game. Mm-hmm. Just like just like in Toy Story, they know they're toys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do a really good job of exhibiting that at the end of the day. And you see this particularly at the beginning. But at the end of the day, everyone goes to different games. It's like break time. Yeah, yeah, they go to like the game bar, which we see. We see a bar um, with all of these different video game characters. Mm -hmm. And then at the start of business, the next day, everyone goes back to their game so they can do their jobs. I I, I thought that was a very cool, it's a cool call out. Mm -hmm. It's a very Pixar idea because mm-hmm. they ha- they say, what if toys had feelings? What if cars had feelings? What if feelings had feelings? What if video games had mm-hmm. feelings? Because, mm-hmm. you know, Ralph's whole thing is he has this whole identity thing where he's like, I'm tired of being the bad guy. Mm-hmm. It's old. I'm done with it. It's been 30 years. I want to do something else. Yeah. Wrecker Ralph, it feels a lot to me like a Pixar movie. It's got some really nice detail Mm -hmm. that you would see in a Pixar movie. It's a fairly simple story, but the characters are complex. They have real emotions that touch us. I want to talk about the animation with this a little bit because all of the video game isms in this movie are just so great. Like the way the Nicelanders walk, like they only walk in right angles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it adheres to the 8 and 16-bit world that they live in and it's so great Mm -hmm. and it's so funny when they're talking about hero's duty you see the first person shooter like as a as a screen Mm -hmm. it's it's all so great and the worlds are different you have distinct worlds you have the world of fix it felix you have hero's duty and then you have sugar rush Mm -hmm. they're all different because they're all different types of games 
And they're all animated slightly mm-hmm. in, yes. in the way that represents that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sugar Rush is a land because it has, you know, a racing game has to have multiple levels and multiple lands. Mm-hmm. Hero's Duty is all kind of a linear one story. So it's sharp. It's a, fir- it's a violent first person mm-hmm. shooter. So it all looks sharp. And then Fix-It Felix Jr. is very basic. It's very mm-hmm. 8-bit. You have the building and you have everything off screen, but it all looks the same. It all looks like... It all looks primitive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite parts is when Fix-It Felix uh, Jr. actually meets the uh, commander. Whenever he first meets her or like first like sees her, when he when she like pins him down with a gun to his face, and he's like, oh, look at that high definition! Because he comes from an 8-bit world where Ralph smashed the cake and it all turns into... It's all pixelated yeah. goop on the mm-hmm. wall. It's all blocks. Mm-hmm. It's not like rounded. It's all blocked. Yeah. Off. So he came. He comes from that, and then he sees her, and she looks way better, you know, because of the high definition and stuff like that from the game. And he's just like, "It's amazing," you know. And he just like gushes over it, and it's great. Another meta moment that I loved is when Ralph is in Hero's Duty, and he says, "When did video games become so violent?" <laughs> and it was like, "Oh, yeah. Hero's Duty is super new, and mm-hmm. Ralph's game is thirty years old, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. he's behind the times." Yep. And yeah. games are. Games are super violent now. Mm-hmm. Ralph is right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Animation for Meet the Robinsons? It's very simple. Mm-hmm. It's nothing super advanced. I like the uh, the bubbles. We talked about the bubble animation. Mm-hmm. So good. The character models were very simple. They weren't super high definition like we would get in later things. Mm-hmm. Meet the Robinsons was made in 2007 and Record Elf was in 2012. Meet the Robinsons looked great. It looked a lot like The Incredibles. Mm-hmm. There was nothing that required anything showy, like any extra textures. Yeah. Um, we didn't need water. We didn't need a ton of hair detail. Mm-hmm. And even the hair detail that we did was was really nice, like uh, Lewis's front bangs or something like that sticking up. Yeah, exactly. That's the only extravagant hair that we needed was Lewis. Yeah. Yeah, and they have hairdos, but they're all kind of gloss. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay. I think that's a type of animation that works for this story. We didn't really need it to be any more realist than it was, Mm -hmm. and I think it fits that. Okay, what about the music? Let's skip music for a sec. These two movies had some of the best lines ever. I think Wreck-It Ralph might win because I love... You wouldn't hit a guy with glasses, would you? Mm. You hit a guy with glasses. Well played. I know in Meet the Robinsons, the one that caught like everybody's attention was, I've got a big head and little arms. And literally that's like the end of what everybody catches instead of like the rest mm-hmm. of it, which is like, and I don't think this was really planned out that well. Nobody cares that the frog kind of said the same thing beforehand. Yeah. Sergeant Calhoun has some really great lines. They're very action movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's because she's in this, very male-dominated universe, um, they tend to be a little, like, demeaning. For instance, fear is a four-letter word, ladies. You want to go pee-pee in your big boy slacks, keep it to yourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, whoa, okay. And that's totally something I could imagine hearing in a Call of Duty game or... Real talk, I think Jane Lynch probably talks like that in real life. Yeah. <laughs> Jane Lynch was the voice of Shar- Sergeant Calhoun. I think she probably talks like that in real, real life. I think she's certainly witty wrong, enough. But I read somewhere that the four main characters, Ralph, Vanellope, Calhoun, and Felix, those four actors were in the studio together so they could improv and riff oh. off of each other. 
That's and very cool. With, with voice acting, sometimes you're, especially with, you know, high-profile movies and high-profile casts, sometimes you're not in the same room with people. And you're usually not going old room. school when you have the entire cast in the room. It makes for great chemistry. Yep. Mm-hmm. For example, Woody and Buzz, Tim Allen and um, Tom Hanks, they were in the same room mm-hmm. together. Billy Crystal and John Goodman in Monsters, Inc., they were in the same room together. That's awesome. So you can tell the chemistry in the characters and it really comes through yeah. in Wreck-It Ralph. Mm-hmm. Look at that high definition. Your face. It's amazing. Flattery don't change these batteries, civilians. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> see, I, I can so see weird. Jane Lynch talking like that in real mm-hmm. life because I know Jane Lynch personally. Obviously. <laughs> in Meet the Robinsons, my parents are going to kill me and then they're going to dance on my grave. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. <laughs> Why is your dog wearing glasses? Oh, because his insurance won't pay for contacts. <laughs> I was literally, before I watched this movie, I was looking up when my um, prescription expires for contacts. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's so true. Like, it's so easy to get my glasses prescription, but for some reason, contacts. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about the music. To be honest, Wreck-It Ralph, I think, wins on score. Mm-hmm. Meet the Robinsons wins just because of, wins songs because of Little Wonders. Because I tear up every time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's been a couple of months since I've seen Wreck-It Ralph, so I honestly don't remember the music that well from it. The music from Meet the Robinsons didn't do anything for me, really. I didn't think it was particularly supportive. I didn't think it attracted either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both of these movies have, uh, let's say, B-minus scores. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of pop songs. Like, Shut Up and Drive mm-hmm. is used for the Let's Teach a Vanellope How to Drive section of the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has more um, electronic music. Like Skrillex was really was really involved with Wreck It Ralph, and I feel like it, that's mainly because of it being video game stuff. A video game movie. Yeah. So like the main theme for Heroes Duty was was a Skrillex song. Oh, okay, I didn't mm-hmm. know that. And then of course he made his cameo. And then when can I see you again? Yeah. Okay, so we ready to decide on these two? My vote is for Wreck It Ralph because. As a gamer, I think this was a very good video game movie. Besides that, it had a very good story. All the characters were great. We didn't even go hard on Wreck-It Ralph's villain, King Candy, who had the best reveal ever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing this movie in theaters and the reveal of King Candy being Turbo Mm -hmm. was a super good reveal to me. Yep. Like, Mm -hmm. I was actually shocked. Yeah. Because they set up the phrase going turbo and paid it off as being something important later because turbo's still around. Mm -hmm. The lines are great. The voice cast is great. The theme behind Vanellope, knowing who she is, regardless of what anyone says about her, whether she's a glitch or a princess, she knows who she is. Mm -hmm. I think that's a better lesson than anything that Tangle said or Frozen said. Mm -hmm. I agree. Like, regardless of what anybody says about you, know who you are. Mm I think that is a great message, especially for young girls growing up. My vote is for Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, mine, I was really worried you were going to screw me on this one because I know <laughs> that you love Meet the Robinsons. I like Meet the Robinsons. I'm the one that okay. loves Meet the Robinsons. Uh, okay, that's what I was. love Wreck-It Ralph. This was going to be a really tough one for me if I had to do a tiebreaker, so thank you for not... I like Meet the Robinsons, but I love the song at the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I texted Tori after I watched Meet the Robinsons and just said, OMG, 
And he's like, good or bad? And I said both. And the good was because I really enjoyed the movie, and the bad was because I really didn't want me, the Robinsons, to beat Wreck-It Ralph, um, even though I thought it was a really good movie. Mm-hmm. I love Wreck-It Ralph. I've only, I think I've only seen it three times, but it's one of those movies that each time I go back to it, I notice something different, or I, I just fall more in love with it. Vanellope is a very vulnerable character, and I think her conviction is very admirable. I think Wreck-It Ralph trying to do his thing outside of his game is admirable as well. And he's not really about trying to help her initially. He, he just wants to, mm-hmm. to get his medal and, and go back to his game. But yeah, I think it's a really beautifully told story, original. And yeah, I think, I think it's better, a better feel-good message. Our final matchup of the episode is Pinocchio versus Monsters University. Monsters University is the prequel to Monsters, Inc., and it centers around Mike and Sully in college, how they met, and how they ended up as superstars at Monsters, Inc. Pinocchio is about a wooden doll built by Geppetto. He gets kidnapped, sold away to the circus, and it's about his journey trying to get home and then rescue his father Geppetto and then eventually becoming a real boy. I was going to be real mad at you if you didn't say the words become a real boy in your uh, <laughs> plot in your summary. Everybody knows. Every, anybody say a real the word boy. Pinocchio. Yep. Yeah. A, a real, real boy. Yep. <laughs> what were your impressions of Pinocchio first? I'm sure I saw Pinocchio at some point. No, I know I've seen Pinocchio before. When I was very young and I wasn't a big fan, I also don't think I really followed it. When I watched it this time, at first I was bored and then I was caught off guard by how twisted the kidnapping dude who turned all the boys into donkeys. Oh my god, gosh, that's so creepy. So creepy. So there's the fox and the fox's sidekick, and they are they're kind of like henchmen. And they're devious, but they're kind of out for hire. And then there's... I, I can't find his name. Anyway, he gets the fox and the sidekick to kidnap Pinocchio. So he can be taken with all of these other child-age boys to... Is it Pleasure Island? Yes. It's yes. Pleasure Island. Which is already a little bit weird. But basically, Pleasure Island is this land where... Boys can smoke and drink and do all the stuff that they're never supposed to do. Play pool and gamble and mess shit up like they were destroying a house. And the guy poisons them in the beer with this poison that turns the boys into donkeys so he can sell them. So it's already creepy that he's getting all of these boys to go to this pleasure island but then that he's turning them into donkeys. And and he doesn't even say that he turns them into donkeys. Whenever he's talking to the fox, and I think it's a cat, like a street cat or it something like that. Yeah. When he's talking to the duo, he basically says that he's going to take these boys to Pleasure Island, and they're not going to come back from Pleasure Island as boys. That's super creepy. Yeah. I'm looking at it. It's just, he doesn't have a name. He's just a coach man who is going to pay them to kidnap the boys for Pleasure Island. Yeah. And there's there's no poison. It's just the island's cursed. Mm, okay. So the longer the boys stay there and, you know, 
be mischievous Mm -hmm. the more it sets in the more of a jackass they turn into yes i think i think lamplick even says that yes i also thought it was funny that they used the word jackass in a disney movie yeah Yeah. (laughs) to be fair this was made in 1940 yeah What'd you think of Monster University? I love Monsters University. Well, okay. I already love Monsters, Inc. I love the characters and I love the idea of a monster's world. When um, Monsters University came out, I looked around for an adult size MU hat forever. Yeah. Um, I really wanted an MU cap. So if anyone finds one, I want it. Give it to me. <laughs> they had lots of kids and I am kid size in many ways, but my head is not that small. So... Yeah, I think it's I think it's brilliant. I think it's great because we really see these two characters who come from completely different backgrounds. Sully comes from a scarer family and his father is famous and Mike is nerdy and is not cut out to be a scarer. He's adorable. But works really, really hard and has put everything he can into becoming a scarer. And we see how they team up with this group of outcast monsters to compete in this scaring competition. And ultimately, it turns out that Mike really isn't scary enough to do this job, but it doesn't really matter. That's not what's going to make them successful. They can, they still end up being a successful duo. They work up from the very bottom of Monsters Incorporated. It's a cool story. It doesn't end at all how I expected it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has lots of aspects of college, like college parties and cliques and fraternities and sororities. and All true. Mm-hmm. All true. Yeah. I was kind of upset that we didn't get to see Mike as a disco ball in the movie. Yeah. Like in the, like in the trailer. Like in the trailer. Yep. I've only seen Pinocchio maybe three times, and I don't hate the movie. I understand its iconic status, and I love some of the iconic moments but it's kind of boring to me. Watching it this time didn't really help. I forgot that the monstro scene happens basically at the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought it was more central to the story. I had forgotten about me too. the whole Pleasure Island scene. Mm-hmm. For good reason. It's creepy as hell. Yeah. <laughs> it's not one of my favorites. Monster University, I remember being cautiously optimistic about mm-hmm. it and ended up liking it because... To be honest, it wasn't the sequel that I wanted. I didn't really want a Monsters, Inc. sequel. And if I got a Monsters, Inc. sequel, I wanted it to be about Sully trying to get back to Boo. Mm -hmm. But I understand why they kind of haven't done it. Like I said about other Pixar sequels, I like what it did for the world of Mm -hmm. Monsters, Inc. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I like what it did for the story of Sully and Mike. And it, it explains how they, why they are who they are, and it, it kind of informs their friendship, even though it does kind of mess up the continuity that Monsters Inc. established, that they've known each other since the fourth grade, at least. Yeah. But semantics, it's not that big a deal. It's, it's not one of my favorite Pixar movies, despite how high I, again, I may have ranked this one too high, too. What do you think about some of the other characters in Monsters Inc., or Monsters University, sorry? I liked I liked Dean Hardscrabble. She was an antagonist. She doesn't mm-hmm. she wasn't really a villain. She was the one challenging them. She mm-hmm. was the obstacle that they had to get past. And then 
overall the obstacle was each other like mike and sully had to get out of their own ways and help each other out because Mm -hmm. in the end once they started doing that they were successful Mm -hmm. the villains uh roar omega roar the classic college or high school clique and you got to get past them if you want to be popular or if you want to succeed. And I think they did really well. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Randall had to join the evil clique. Yeah. That fraternity reminded me of the um, Extremely Goofy movie. And that fraternity. Oh, the Gammas? Yeah, the Gammas. I saw, like, a correlation, whatever, with them, a parallel. I love that Dean Hardscrabble is this absolutely terrifying monster, but she doesn't raise her voice. She Mm -hmm. doesn't do anything to be scary. Her very presence, the atmosphere she creates by closing all of the shutters and flying around, the fact that she has all of her legs makes her very creepy and scary Mm -hmm. without her having to say or do anything that's actually scary. Mm -hmm. And, of course, she's voiced by Helen Mirren. The voice cast for Monsters University is absolutely fantastic. We've got Billy Crystal as Mike and John Goodman as Sully, who were in the original. Helen Mirren as Dean Hardscrabble. We have Nathan Fillion as Johnny from Warhome Roar. Um, he's the and, president of Roar Omega Roar. Yes. And I love Nathan Fillion. I think he's fantastic. And I think he was great in this and mm-hmm. did a great job. Something that Heather pointed out about Dean Hardscrabble and her aura, the way she's drawn, she's always dark. Mm-hmm. Like it looks like she's always under shadow. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, like, she always has a cloud above her where, like, anywhere, everybody else is bright. It's not she's even just that she's shadow. dark in cover, but it's it's that she's actually got this consistency about her. Like, she has a cloud floating over her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's, just, that's a very cool call out. I might be wrong, but I think when she got surprised and, like, after she got surprised, that cloud went away. It kind of lightened yeah, her up. Yeah, they lightened her up because mm-hmm. she was seeing them. <gasps> she was seeing them in a new light. Boom. Uh, uh, oh, got it. Uh. <laughs> Nailed it. I think um, going talking about the, the side characters in Monsters University, this is a good job of bringing those odd people into the fold and making it acceptable to be the odd one out. Each of the members of... Um, Uzma Kappa. Uzma Kappa. is like, Uzma? Yeah. Each of We're the... We're okay. We're okay. <laughs> characters in Uzma Kappa are not very extraordinary monsters and so they're kind of the odd ones out but they're comfortable with that and mm-hmm. we talked about this earlier with lilo that it's okay to be the odd one out yes. that everyone has has something to bring to the table mm-hmm. and it's not going to line up with what you have to bring to the table yep. and vanellope too like she's okay and with vanellope. Who she is. Yep. yeah i'm not really this i'm this and she like glitches out of the dress <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah pixar just saying be who you are mm-hmm. those who mind don't matter those who matter don't mind yep except people for who they are what about pinocchio and the side characters of pinocchio i forgot that it was jiminy cricket singing when you wish upon a star to bring us into the movie Mm-hmm. and oh my gosh that song is iconic it became like the disney song yeah yeah Everybody says that Pinocchio is the is the best Disney movie because it set up the whole wishing and dreaming okay. of Disney. Because mm-hmm. this is the second Disney movie. This is number two. Yeah. And it set up Walt's whole thing of dreaming. Yeah. And they use it for everything. Like it's it's the song that brings into that brings the logo in now. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, there aren't that many side characters apart from Jiminy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's Geppetto, but he's hardly... He's in the he's beginning and he's there. in the end. We've got the bird and the cat. Yeah, Figaro. Figaro. And, uh, no, it's a fish and a yeah, fish. And the cat. fish. Figaro and. Uh, oh crap! What's the what's the fish's Ga- name? I want to say Gale, but that's not right. Cleo. 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 Yeah. Figaro and Cleo are the uh, the cat and the fish. And Pinocchio, I see. I see that he likes to rhyme with O's. All the good ones end in O. <laughs> As a Ninja Turtles reference. I gotcha, gotcha. Take that. <laughs> For the villains, you really have Stromboli, Honest John, and whatever the other cat's name. And then you have Monstro. Is Monstro really a villain? I think Monstro's a villain. Why was he so angry? I guess they did just light a fire inside of his body. Yeah, that I'd be the yeah, too. They smoked him out. Yo. <laughs> I don't know why he was so angry beforehand. But yeah, I would be pretty pissed if my food lit a fire in my stomach. Yeah. Yeah. Heather, tell us why Jiminy Cricket is the worst. Okay. So, Jiminy Cricket is the worst because Pinocchio, when the fairy first arrives and she basically gives him lungs and stuff and he becomes and he comes alive, Jiminy Cricket is there and he basically is like, oh, he's not going to know right from wrong. And the fairy's like, well, do you want to be his conscience? Do you want to help him learn all of these life lessons? And Jiminy, wanting to impre- impress this fairy, is like, well, yeah, of course, yes, of course I'll do that. But take note, every time Pinocchio gets in trouble, it's because Jiminy fucks off somewhere else. He does tend to dip a lot. Yeah. There's one point, it's the second time Pinocchio gets in trouble, because that's the most memorable one in my head. They're racing to the school, because that's where Pinocchio was supposed to be going in the first place. And Jiminy gets ahead of him and doesn't look back. And Pinocchio Mm -hmm. gets distracted because he's a child. He's literally like two days old and gets diverted somewhere else. And Jiminy's like, oh, well, this kid, he obviously doesn't want my help ever. So I'm just going to go somewhere else. And this is when Pinocchio goes to Pleasure Island. And that's why the fairy had to go save him was because Jiminy wasn't there. And then Jiminy Mm -hmm. finally shows up and is like, Oh, I'm so sorry. It won't happen again. And it super does. Like, it happened a good handful of times. Before all this even happened, when it was just Jiminy in the beginning of the movie, he goes on some sort of tangent about how kids these days don't think for themselves. They keep making wrong decisions, and they have no conscience about them, and he didn't understand why. Mm -hmm. And then he does that to Pinocchio, by just leaving, and that's why Pinocchio keeps getting in trouble. That's why I hate Jiminy Cricket. He is hypocritical, and he says that he's going to help someone, and then he super doesn't, and then they always get in trouble, and then he's like, oh, I'll do better, and then he doesn't do better. And then he gets a gold pen at the end. Why did he get a medal for doing nothing? Participation, he was there. It's a blue, it's a blue ribbon. <laughs> he's part of the team. He created the song, okay? That's why he got the ribbon. <laughs> The score for both of these movies, well, the score for Monsters University isn't that memorable. It does reuse the uh, the right stuff entrance. Mm-hmm. When Mike is younger and the monsters are entering the scare floor during their field trip, they do reuse that. There's the marching band stuff, which mm-hmm. was done by the Blue Devils. Yes. Woo! Blue Devils, drum corps, drum line. Yes. Yeah. I liked the soundtrack and I think that's why is because so much of my college experience 
was surrounded by drumming, by marching bands and drum corps and practically living in the music building. And so those are sounds that I relate to college a lot. So I'm not sure that it's that great for the movie. But for me, it was very evocative. And then Pinocchio, I mean, When You Wish Upon a Star, I've Got No Strings, which mm-hmm. clearly has made its way into popular culture because of freaking beats commercials and (laughs) that's ultron's jam in age of ultron which that was my favorite part of that trailer because it was so fucking creepy yeah to have ultron singing i've got no strings on me fucking creep me out i forgot about that oh man and he has like a super deep voice too so the way pinocchio originally sings it it's so high (laughs) yeah yeah I can't really choose between scores, so I guess that's not going to help. I don't think you're going to need it. I guess, despite all the iconic moments of Pinocchio, I'm going to have to choose Monsters University to move on. I mean, I had more fun in uh, Monster University. I like what it did for the world. Like, just the fact that Sully's signature roar came from the scare games yeah Mm -hmm. you know the kid is afraid of lions and thunder so it sounds like a combination of the two when i first saw that i was like oh my gosh it makes so much sense Mm -hmm. that's perfect it does exactly what i think prequels and sequels should do is expand the world of the original and i think it does that perfectly nothing against pinocchio and we're probably gonna get a lot of flack for not liking a classic we got a lot of classics to choose from coming up yeah i'm probably gonna get a lot of shit for not liking jiminy jiminy cricket does drop the ball a lot and i don't think he deserved the medal at the end i mean pinocchio doesn't die and he does end up being a real boy but that's kind of pinocchio's doing he's the one that bucks up and says hey i gotta go save geppetto and pinocchio's the one who comes up with the fire idea and he's Mm -hmm. the one who's the selfless one and yes pinocchio becomes a real boy but it's not that much due to anything that Jiminy did. Mm-hmm. Pinocchio basically learned everything by himself because Jiminy kept uh, leaving. <laughs> Grace, what's your pick? My pick is Monsters University, hands down. I'm a little sad that I wasn't more impressed by Pinocchio. Me too. But yeah, I think Monsters University does a great job of expanding the world, really digging into dissecting the different parts of a scare i thought that was a really cool aspect that we didn't we didn't really talk about in monsters inc they are professional scarers they went to school to do this there are many aspects to scaring in the best way possible they had to learn all the phobias there really is a science i thought that was really cool too i think that's a real really great attention to detail and a great way to expand the world the music wasn't anything spectacular but i do think it it functioned in a very similar manner to the music in toy story i got the kind of ooey gooey feelings when i needed to and i got the uplifting music when i needed to and so it played nicely into that nothing really stood out greatly but it also set the tone for being in college again for me i'm Mm -hmm. not sure how if if it really does that for people who weren't in the music school while they were in college but for me it it does the job and it's also a nice cameo performance by the blue devils i'm pretty sure this conjures up a lot of college feelings for a lot of people like if you were enriched and not enriched 
if you were very engulfed in a program mm-hmm. in college, whether it be your major or something you did in extracurriculars or Greek life, I'm pretty sure this mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. this conjures up those memories for you. Yeah, that and I think one of the reasons, kind of in tandem, whatever with uh, with Toy Story. When did Monsters University come out again? 2013. 2013. A mm-hmm. lot of kids that you know watched monsters inc and then also toy story like notice how they're going to college stuff a little later like they're fo- yep. they're following us not yeah. in a super creepy yep. way but you know they're like hey you're in college these guys went to college you know moving on to the next round we have toy story 3 the princess and the frog wreck it ralph and monsters university Woo. any surprises no not really Mm-mm. i expected to have a problem deciding between Lilo and Stitch and the Princess and the Frog, and I did. Okay. Do we want to do a Drunken Disney for this one? Oh, I have a Drunken Disney. Oh, yeah? Is it for it's Monsters for... University? No, it's not. Even though that would be very apt. Yes. It'd be very apt to do Drunken Anytime Disney. Anytime there's a party Monster scene, <laughs> finish your drink. No. Um, even though it's the more boring of the movies, or it's the most boring, one of the most boring of the movies, The Black Cauldron. No. To get through it. Yep. Veto. Anytime. <laughs> now, I, I got three. I got three. And they're okay. really good. Okay. Anytime anyone says the Black Cauldron, take mm-hmm. a drink. Okay. Anytime Torin says Henwin, take a drink. Anytime Gurgi is annoying, take a drink. Okay. Uh, because I remember saying in my notes that Gurgi is the Jar Jar Binks of this movie. You said yeah. that out loud. <laughs> I remember. Yep. I said it. In our upcoming episode, we have The Rescuers versus The Incredibles, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves versus Hercules. Oh, I'm excited for that one. <sighs> Toy Story 2 versus A Bug's Life, A Goofy Movie versus The Rescuers Down Under. I'm excited for this. Are there any of these that you're specifically excited to talk about? Snow White and Hercules for me. I'm pretty interested in that mm-hmm. one. I'm excited to talk about a Goofy movie. Yes. In the yeah. context of all these other movies, because a Goofy movie isn't a Disney animated classic. Mm-hmm. We included it because it's such a cult favorite and we needed something to take the place of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's our show. Deal with yeah. it. <laughs> I'm trying not to be down about Toy Story 2. I might need some wine while I'm watching. I we'll see. I, I'm gonna need some hype, maybe caramel corn or something. Trust me, it's a very good movie. Uh... It's it's very good. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a five star review and let us know how we're doing. Rate us on Google Play Music. I promise next episode I will know how their rating system goes. Five pineapples. <laughs> yeah, give us five pineapples. Give us six and a half bananas, whichever, whichever works. Remember, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Disneyverses and on Twitter at DisneyVS. Thanks, and we'll see you next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.